0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, after you're done greeting and meeting, you can turn to Ephesians chapter six. Many of you probably know this passage. Um, I know that um, I've read this passage in, in preparation for speaking and uh, on mission trips, and when I know there's going to be an influence of uh, spiritual warfare. It's the passage about putting on the full armor of God. So Ephesians 6, if you wouldn't mind turning there in in your Bibles or your electronic Bibles um, to this passage so that you could see it with your own eyes and read it in whatever translation you have. But Ephesians 6 starts off with, um, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So he's commending these people, be strong, be, take up his mighty power. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. And then it's going to go on to describe the spiritual armor that you can put on. And he says, the reason why you do that is this. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And verse 12 says, for our struggle is not, it is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. And then it says stand firm. And then put on the, 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 the armor of God. And it's a great passage about this spiritual analogy, this spiritual idea of putting on armor to protect yourself, because the war is not against flesh and blood, but against... The devil's schemes, the, the, these principalities and powers of dark and evil. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we recognize you as sovereign and good and powerful over this world. God, as we talk about um, some things this morning that have to do with the spiritual realm, God, protect us. God, we put on this morning this, this spiritual, this um, armor of God to protect ourselves from the devil's schemes. God, we protect ourselves against them, and we pray for your protection your peace upon us. In the name of Jesus, we we cast any um, devil schemes or demonic activity out from us, from our lives. We ask you, Jesus, to to protect us and to cover us in your goodness and well-being because you are an awesome, all-powerful, and good God. And we worship you and we praise you. And everybody screamed, amen. So, the very first mission trip... How many of you all have been on a mission trip ever before in your entire life? Oh, lots of hands. Sweet. My first overseas mission trip... Was to uh, Guatemala. Anybody ever been to Guatemala? Shout out for Guatemala. Um, Awesome. So that was my first mission trip, way back uh, when I lived in Utah. We we took a a trip. It was like the whole church, a bunch of college students like I was at the time, and then a bunch of um, older people and kids were there. It was a great mission trip. Probably like uh, 25 people or so went to Guatemala. The quintessential awesome mission trip. We we did a VBS thing. Uh, We played with orphans. We did a, a construction project. This concrete. Um, helped this church foundation of this concrete church. Um, It was an awesome mission trip. And then always the last day of the trip, what do you get to do? It's like a free day. You get to go shopping. Um, Right? Am I right? I mean, that's just kind of how mission trips usually work. It's like, oh, you relax. you, you, You get to shop. And so anyways, this Kid, uh, one of the college students um, bought some stuff. Everybody bought some stuff, uh, and one of the, the, the guys uh, bought some Guatemalan masks. I didn't have a picture of the Guatemalan masks he bought, but I Google imaged it, and I found uh, something like this. He bought these uh, something like this. Um, he bought them for his mom, actually. <laughs> it's like, really, bro? Um, but anyways, he thought they would, the colors would match her kitchen. I have no idea. Anyways. He bought some masks that looked something like this um, during the, the shopping day. And then later that day, we were having like a debrief and worship. Uh, and it got interrupted because um, this conversation was happening. So this, this this college guy that bought these masks for his mom, supposedly, um, someone, a girl, saw the masks and was—and there's like more to the story because there was like some love triangle drama stuff. Um, uh, but she was really upset that he had bought these masks because she said— These are the masks that are used in pagan, like ancient Aztec, uh, Native American rituals, Um, and so they're evil. You shouldn't buy them. They're not Christian. Uh, You could be opening the door to the demonic realm by having these masks. Uh, and buying them, bringing them home. Um, And so there was, like, this big conversation that just got bigger, and more people were, like, coming into the conversation. And there was this idea that, well, he didn't know that the masks were based upon a a pagan ritual mask. Um, He just bought them because he liked the colors, and he liked the masks. Um, And so there was this bigger conversation of, like, do these masks carry demonic and spiritual power, or are these masks just masks? just decorative masks that look Guatemalan. Um, and so the, this whole thing was like blowing up and there was like people taking sides, really passionate about the masks. And there's more to the story too. Cause he, had, I think he had gotten ripped off. He had paid like 50 bucks for the masks and then found out like from another shop that they were selling them for like a dollar each or something. <laughs> it's like totally how that goes in the third world countries. Um, so there was, there was just a lot more going on with the whole mask thing. But I'm going to come back to this in a minute. So i tell, I tell you that story. We'll come back to this. And I'm going to ask you the question, you know, are things in and of themselves, like take the masks, for instance, what side would you, ta- if you were on this mission trip, listening in on this conversation where the, the, the kid that bought the mask was just like, I just like the mask. They're just colorful. They're just masks. And then the girl was saying, no, they're, they're pagan masks. They're evil. They're, they're going to open the de- door to demonic realms. So which side would you take if you were listening into that conversation? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of ask that as a question a little bit later and then tie it in to what we're talking about here this morning and, and kind of conclude uh, what we're talking about as far as conspiracy theories go, because that's what we're talking about this month in the Mill Sunday School. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's uh, little cards on your table that look like that. You can fill one of them out with your information, bring it back to the people uh, as you leave. We'll give you like a little gift baggie from New Life. It's got our senior pastor's book in it, Sons and Daughters. I think a CD is in there from the Mill on a Friday night. And and by the way, the Mill hosts the Mill Sunday School, but by no means do you have to be a college or 20-something to be uh, involved in the Mill Sunday School. It's open to everybody, all ages. So thanks for coming this morning, uh, especially if you're new. And so we are in this topic. uh, It's kind of an elective fun topic that um, has been very interesting these last couple of weeks of talking about conspiracy theories. It's not something we normally talk about in Sunday school. It's, um, in fact, we just came off of a long, systematic theology topic where we spent 10 months talking about very in-depth things, a part of our faith, and so we, this month is more of an elective fun topic, and in some ways it's been fun, in some ways it's been interesting, in some ways it's been challenging to, like, like to kind of talk about what's the bigger picture here as we talk about... Um, very weird and fun things, like conspiracy theories. And we've talked about this month. Um, I I hopefully brought this idea that um, I think in in some ways, many conspiracy theories um, don't put Christ in the center of the thought, the center of the conspiracy theory, but rather the center of many conspiracy theories is fear— and worry that someone's going to get you. Aliens are going to get you. Uh, Secret societies are going to get you. The government is going to get you. Big Brother is going to get you. The Denver International Airport is going to get you. Um, Whatever. There's like fear uh, surrounding conspiracy theories. Um, And so often that's um, obviously that's a part of conspiracy theories, and that's a bad thing to be afraid and worry and fear. Um, we believe in a God who is in all control, and, and so we should not fear. Uh, we should only fear the Lord, not conspiracy theories. So that's, that's something uh, we've mentioned this month. We've also mentioned how uh, last week we said that the center of a lot of conspiracy theories is not Christ or the ways of Christ. It's almost like this idea that Uh, we need to, you know, prepare ourselves for this conspiracy because they're going to get us. And so we need to go out and get them. We need to like prep so that when like our neighbors come to get our food, we could shoot them in the face. Um, It's like, well, the ways of Christ are to love your enemy. The ways of Christ are to give all your possessions away. The ways of Christ are to love your enemies, turn the other cheek, um, to not have this fear that people are out to get you, to not get them before they get you. That is not the way of Christ and and so many conspiracy theories are full of fear so many cons- conspiracy theories are full of get them protect yourself so that they don't get you it's like well what about Christ and his Way of laying down your your his life for others shouldn't we do the same? Um, So there's that. That's kind of a big picture. And furthermore, I think in a lot of conspiracy theories, there's just a bad way of thinking. Um, Here's kind of a good way of thinking: when you observe, you find patterns, you hypothesize, you make a theory. This is uh, uh, an inductive way of thinking. It's maybe how we should read the Bible. You read the Bible, you make patterns, you have theories about who God is and the things of God and who we are as Christians instead of the upside-down way. So this is all kind of review um, that we have a theory, and then we work our way to finding observations for that theory. Because if you have a theory, you could find evidence to prove any theory. Like, let's just say the theory of Joe and the Mill Sunday School leaders... Raise your hand if you're a Mill Sunday School leader. So, So we control the gas prices in Colorado Springs. So if gas prices fluctuate, it's because we are hoarding gas and um, praying over the gas prices. I don't know. So it's like we have a theory, and then you go out and find things. Like, yeah, I saw Joe at the pump the other day getting gas, and he was messing around with a thing. So that's evidence enough, don't you think? Um, it's like, what? No, that's, it's a ridiculous theory, and then you go try to find proof for that theory, but the theory itself is ridiculous, um, and so it's like you work from the theory to the observation instead of good critical thinking, which is observation working itself to the theory. So, I'm going to try to t- try to uh, there's lots of different things here where we're going to talk about secret societies in a minute. We're talking about the big picture, kind of reviewing conspiracy theories, um, and trying to tie it all back into, I think so many conspiracy theories have to do with the devil, and the schemes of the devil, and demonic stuff. And so I'm tr- going to try to eventually tie all this back together. And so if it seems like we're talking about a couple di- couple different things throughout Sunday School, hopefully it'll all get tied together in the end. So... Along with that, let's continue this thought about the, like the Guatemalan masks. I'm going to give you a discussion question, which I already kind of told you I was going to do. Um, and so the, the bigger idea is this. You could use the Guatemalan masks as an example, but there's plenty of other examples of this kind of thing in our lives as Christians. And the big question is this. Hopefully it's, it's a good one that you could really get into at your tables. And if you're sitting at a small table, jump in with a larger table, invite yourself in, because uh, I think this question is worth talking about. Uh, hopefully I've worded it well enough. Uh, is it the thing that makes something evil, or is it your heart? So like going back to the example of the masks, um, this kid bought the masks not knowing they were pagan masks. And so Uh, obviously if he knew that they were pagan masks and bought them and was like, I'm going to put these up and pray to them and kneel down to them every day. He's like, okay, that's clearly evil. That's wrong. That's not putting God first. (coughs) But he accidentally bought them. So is it the thing, though, that makes the thing... Evil in and of itself, or is it the heart behind it? Let's say you're wearing a shirt, and you accidentally wear a shirt. I've seen that I think American Apparel or something was, produced the shirt. They sold it at Urban Outfitters that have the uh, Buddhist-like Om sign. It's, it's if you look that up, you could see what that looks like. And so I saw people at the mill. Not people. I saw this one guy at the mill wearing an OM shirt. And I was like, oh, I just assumed that he was Buddhist. Turns out he's like a Christian, loves Jesus, but he didn't. He was wearing this Buddhist OM shirt, like the, the meditation OM. Um, and so so is that act in and of itself evil? Like, was that an evil shirt? Is this, Or was it that he didn't know... It was okay. And so th- this question hopefully is a, is a relevant one and one that, that many of you will take different sides on, and that's perfectly okay. So is it the thing that makes something evil or is it the heart behind the thing and what you're doing? So discuss. Ready, cassette, go. Discuss. All right, if you had to vote uh, between the thing being evil in and of itself and the heart behind the thing... Uh, making it evil. How many of you would raise your hand and say, if you had to vote and pick one, if you had to? Of course, there's lots of middle ground here, but uh, how many of you would say you would lean towards? It's the thing that's that's evil, in and of it. Nobody, not even one. What about uh, how many of you would say it's the heart behind the thing? <laughs> it's a great vote. All right, <laughs> everybody else. All right. So I guess Sunday school's over. <laughs> Let's talk about it first. Who? Okay, good, Mr. Living Good. <laughs> Andrew, yes, thank you. I'll, I'll be the one guy that that, that guy. Yeah, I'll you, be that, that. guy. Uh, so I, uh, this is an example of I. I, I think there are some things. Uh, and the example that I we discussed here was the uh, we, when we went to Egypt, we went to the mosques.
1: Yeah, we, we went and sat and we we prayed in there for the people in the mosques uh, mm-hmm. as part of the trip. And it was oppressive, and you could feel. And it yeah. was there so it's was like these places that yeah. feel oppressive it was, it was because of the total absence world. of God. And sure. Uh, and it was yeah. And you could you could definitely feel it around certain things. I don't think it's you know stuff that you could,
0: stuff that you buy Ouija boards that have been blessed yeah. in water or whatever. But um, but I think that there are places or there are condensation of uh, a condensing of, of like a spirit uh, of something of, around yeah. uh, an area. Good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for playing the figurative devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> Mr. I'll join Jan him on that. Even though our whole table said it's the heart, I also think about like it probably wouldn't be wisdom for us as believers to have like a statue of Buddha in our house because <laughs> there's just it's just conflicting, first of all. Right. But then it's also people worship that it's an idol and
2: I'm not I'm not necessarily sure if it would bring Spiritual stuff in with it, but it but would be—it
0: would be a dumb thing to it do. It would be, it
2: could and it could, yeah, it could cause other people to question.
0: And it's just there's something about that thing. there, even if my heart would be pure for it, to have it there. Okay. Yeah. Good. So it sounds like there's more people playing a devil's advocate, Miss Sarah. Okay,
3: I was kind of actually on the thing. Like, I just kind of barely... But what was you... Everybody
0: know, raised the hand for the heart, so and this now is all what, people are is, like, <laughs> it's, it's really the thing, though. This
3: is what we were kind of debating. I was debating that it was more of the symbolism of the thing and what that represents, and Eric thought it was more of the power. Yeah. Um, so where does the power come from? Can something... Can, like, evil inhabit this chair, and this chair is evil, so don't bring it home kind of a thing. Or don't okay. sit in it, right. I, that might be more of the heart. But my... my Uh, What example was Uh like a cross like how we as Christians might symbolize a cross and we're okay with having crosses in our house and though if you touch like a Catholic or Jewish person or Buddhist or whatever with the cross it's not like all of a sudden they're Christian. Unless they're Dracula. True. But then... But just kind of the, the same goes that if I want things that represent Christ in my home and bring them back from trips, I probably, like Daniel was saying, also don't want to bring like little Buddhas home with me right. <laughs> as well. Right. And as far as the mask goes, okay, granted, a mask could be just a mask in there. But yeah. I, knowing what other cultures and different religions might represent, you... <laughs> my brain goes, I don't know who's like prayed over that right. or who has blessed that and with their God and what they think is like spiritual power and I don't want to be associated with it. Whether like, I'm Or like, open the door yes, to something. Yes. Good.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's it. great. I'm going to go uh, Trevor and then Jonathan and then we'll wrap up with, with that.
1: Well, I think that a provoking question against the heart side of it is, is the ho- is the Bible holy yeah. because our hearts make it holy or is it holy because it's God's word?
0: That's good. And so is it? It's a good question. It just provokes the question that I think you have to ask if you're going on the heart side. Yeah. So is the, like the, because the Bible is a spiritual book, um, but we wouldn't, hopefully we don't just like, oh, I'm going to keep the Bible in my car to keep me from car crashes because the book itself is holy. It's like, well, no, it's, it's holy because you read it. And so I, I saw lots of other hands, but jo- Jonathan's going to wrap us up, be the last
2: one. So 1 Corinthians 8 actually talks about something very similar. It's talking yeah. about the food sacrificed to idols. And it says whether we eat or don't eat it, do it all for the glory of God. So yeah. I don't think the thing itself has any power over us because idols and false gods don't actually... Uh, I mean, there are, I believe there are stuff like demons and stuff. But, but God, God is bigger. God is bigger. So it just says... Sure. Uh, beware that it's not a stumbling block to you. So I think if it's something that is going to cause you problems in your walk with God, then you need to avoid it. But I don't think it has any power over you. Yeah, good. So he
0: used the example of um, the meat sacrificed to idols, and Paul just says, whether you eat it or you don't, do it for the glory of God. And so that's maybe, I mean, think about like actual, an animal that has been sacrificed to another god, and you're eating that meat. Paul says, that's okay, but, but do it for the glory of God. And, and the, the passage goes on to say, don't cause anyone else to stumble. Um, and so, like, like Dan Porter said, you know, if you have a Buddha in your house uh, and a Buddhist person comes over, you might think, oh, well, you worship Buddha and Jesus, and it's all, no, you're causing someone else to stumble. So, in that idea— so we have this idea now. That, so here's where I'm trying to make these, these jumps, hopefully in our mind, that are uh, easy jumps to make. So if we have this idea that, that it's either the thing or not the thing, and I think we all agree that it's more the heart than the thing itself. Um, and then some people played some devil's advocates, but I think we'd all, we, we did all agree that it is the heart that is way more important than the thing itself. Um, so what about things, uh, getting back to our c- conspiracy theory stuff, what about things like uh, secret societies? Um, specifically this morning, we're just going to talk about two, the Freemasons and the Illuminati. And Maybe you've been into a building where it has like a Freemason symbol. Uh, maybe there's, there's lots of theories about... Uh, an organization called the Illuminati having control of different things and Illuminati symbols. Um, And and maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit. There's an Illuminati, potentially uh, what some people think is an Illuminati symbol on a dollar bill, the, the pyramid, the triangle, if you pull out a dollar bill, Um, And so there's some people that maybe would take that to another extreme and say, oh, because the Illuminati, and they would, they would potentially say, oh, the Illuminati satanic, the, and since the Illuminati satanic, that that's one jump. And then another jump would be since the dollar bill has the Illuminati symbol, that's another jump that may not be logical. Um, You shouldn't carry around a dollar bill. You shouldn't pay with a dollar bill. You should pay with a check card instead, because the dollar bill has a symbol of potentially Illuminati, that is potentially satanic, that is potentially evil and wrong in and of itself. And so that's kind of where, that's the direction we're going this morning. And so I asked uh, Aaron, Aaron Higgins, why don't you come, come on up? I'll get the mic ready uh, for you. So, so Aaron's going to talk about the Masons. I asked him to research and talk, and then Jake's going to come up and talk about the Illuminati.
1: Okay. So full disclosure, uh, <laughs> I'm not a Mason. Yeah, Right. <laughs> but my great grandfather was for real uh, yeah yeah for real <laughs> right so so we've all heard of the freemasons or the masons as they're called for shorthand so more or less what i want to do here is let's demystify them a little bit so uh, the freemasons are supposedly behind many great conspiracies Um, That they're trying to take over the world. They're part of the New World Order or the Old World Order, depending on who you talk to. Um, That they faked the moon landings. To what end, I don't understand. I've seen the Mythbusters episode, so I I know that they weren't faked. Uh, That they were behind various assassinations of famous people. Uh, That they sunk the Titanic. Uh, That they were behind the American, French, and Russian revolutions, and that 9-11-2001 was just a part of an ongoing war between the Freemasons and Islam. So these are just some of the, lack of a better term, mainstream conspiracy theories that you'll hear about the Freemasons. But what we don't really talk about is who the Freemasons are. Where did they get started? What's the root of their name? That sort of things. So the earliest that we can trace back the Freemasons is 1390. There's a document that talks about these free Masons. Masons who held no allegiance to a particular king, lord, or country. Their job was to build. Build with stone, thus Mason. Uh, they built... Uh, most of the castles, major churches, and, and big buildings over in Europe. But you have to remember, historically speaking, and in, in a historical perspective, these are uneducated men. They only know one thing, and that's their trade. So when they're going from project to project, uh, how do they establish the fact that they're an apprentice or a master? They can't write anything out. They, they can't read anything. So these guilds were established and had a loose affiliation with each other, so a Mason could move from one country to the next, not being able to speak the language, but be able to quickly establish the fact that he is a Master Mason. He knows the secret handshake, quite literally the secret handshake, which got him access to run a project or um, have apprentices under him, that sort of thing, without having to rebuild his whole job all over again from scratch. But as time wore on, Projects of that magnitude <laughs> changed, people started getting educated, communication became better. So, the need for these loose guilds or lodges, as they became known as, started to fall away. Membership started to decline. So, they started accepting in about 1730 or so, many of the lodges started accepting non Masons into the group. Now, it cost money to enter into the group, usually quite a hefty sum. So, you had to be rich and powerful to join the lodges. So, it became a way for the lodges to get money, and it became a meeting place for those that are influential by their very nature. But a lot of the traditions that made the Masons the Masons survived. So, the secret handshakes, the different levels, master, grandmaster, things like that, those traditions continued and evolved into this secret thing. And I think all of us, as little kids (coughs) especially, when there is a secret, ooh, You wanted to know about it. (laughs) And then you told your friends. But then it changed a little bit. And it became this mysterious thing that everyone wanted to be a part of. And that's what's happened with, I think, the Freemasons. So when when you get a group of people who are influential, powerful, rich, elected leaders or appointed leaders, of course they're going to talk. Of course they're going to talk about ideas that they have, plans that they are making, and maybe how they can make something better. But remember, these are only loosely affiliated lodges. There's no grand connecting idea between the Freemasons. In fact, a lot of the larger, as they call them, Grand Lodges don't even like each other. The Grand Lodge of London, for instance, is not talking to the Grand Lodge of Australia. To this day, they had a rift about 50 years ago. They hate each other's guts. You hop onto their websites and they'll talk about how the other guys are posers. It's kind of funny. So, here's some Freemasons that you may or may not have heard of these people George Washington, Thomas Paine, Paul Revere, Joseph Warren, Ben Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson. We think he may have been a Freemason. So, the ideas of freedom, of individual self governance, not adhering to a king. These ideas have been around in Freemasonry since its founding and eventually trickle down to these men here. All these men here helped found our country on those very principles. So, where's the conspiracy? Like I said, you get powerful people together, they're going to think of things. Just like the previous slide there, very influential people that helped form this country. Talk about a conspiracy. Well, that was a conspiracy. They thought, hey, mankind can self-govern. So this loose affiliation between lodges, it's just that some of them don't like each other. There's no evidence of any sort of master plan. And if there was, honestly, they're doing it wrong. (laughs) If, If Freemasonry is represented in every single country in the world... You would think by now they would already be governing the entire world, but there's, there's no master plan. That being said, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> so there are some sinister aspects to Freemasonry. First off, they typically deny the deity of Christ. They're also typically deists. So they see God as setting the... Uh, they, they call him the great architect of the universe. And so they say that he set things in motion more or less walked away, but if you join our club, we can teach you some of the secrets about God. So, you know, we start wandering off into some of the Gnostic territory there. And then there's the localized conspiracies that have been traced to local lodges. Again, rich and powerful people want to do rich and powerful things. So, we'll leave it at that there. And secrecy, by its very nature, breeds fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so anytime you have a secret organization filled with rich and powerful people, people are going to theorize and uh, form conspiracies where nothing exists because there's that fear there. So are the Freemasons this dark and sinister organization in (coughs) smoke-filled rooms plotting the destruction of mankind or the enslavement of us all? I would argue no, there's no evidence for that. There's never been any evidence for that. Is it something that you want to run out and join because it's like the Boy Scouts? Well, no, not that either. But you don't have to be afraid of them. There's, there's nothing from them to fear other than fear itself. It's good.
0: Thanks, Aaron Higgins. Well done. <clears throat> so I've always thought the, the... It seems like the funnest... Like when I was in middle school, it was like... a Boys Club, no girls allowed, secret handshakes would be like the best thing ever and that 's uh, what the masons are, and so it 's like oh maybe they 're just a bunch of middle school boys that have never really grown up um, but there is a, there, Aaron did a great job there there is a lot of uh, good that the masons did there 's a lot of, I think they, they donate to buildings, and then that 's why sometimes you will go into like the libraries or something, and you will see the the g with the with the compass and the uh, the square on it. Um, and, and so there, there's like good things that they do, and they they consider themselves an organization that makes good men better. Um, and so that's what they... I mean, if you go to the websites, that's what they say. Um, but there's, like Aaron said, there's, there's conspiracy theories ascribed to them. Now, potentially the one that's um, even more sinister is the Illuminati. So I'm gonna have Jacob come up. Uh, Jacob this week has been researching Illuminati. Um, and so I asked him to to share about it because there's, I mean, I just even in the news this week, it was like, oh, Ashton Kuster's speech. Guess what it is? It's really Illuminati speech or something. Did you seen that?
4: I didn't see that part. I saw the speech.
0: Yeah, and like, so, clearly Illuminati. And it's like I didn't. I watched the speech and I didn't see the Illuminati. So, anyways, Jacob. All right. You got the mic on. I think it's on. The mic on? Let me see. Is it got the little button thing? Oh it's, it's it might be low battery. It's like the oldest trick in the book. Okay. Oh wait, here. Got it. The Illuminati.
4: <laughs> Illuminati. There we go.
0: <laughs>
4: They're already at work. <laughs> so, how many of you guys have actually heard of the Illuminati? Okay, pretty much everybody. All right. So, the Illuminati have were an actual society. They were a society that existed in Bavaria. They were founded in 1776, and if you want to stretch the conspiracy theory, they probably had something to do with the American Revolution. However, they were modeled after the Freemasons, with a structure, secret handshakes, all that kind of stuff. They ended up—they were basically 18th-century secular humanists. They wanted to do good for the societies that they were in. They—they really pushed um, gender and racial equality. They were some of the first people to help push the separation of church and state ideas, and they were really behind the abolition of superstitious beliefs and prejudices against various beliefs. They ended up encompassing about 2,000 members across various European governments by the time they reached their peak about 1780 to 1783. However, they were disbanded in 1787 due to extreme government backlash with all, against all secret societies. So... Pretty much, they were brief. The actual Illuminati society only existed for about 10 to 15 years. Pop culture, though, has definitely taken what exists and turned it into something that we can use for entertainment. Most notably, in pop culture, we see Dan Brown's Angels and Demons, which is the prequel to The Da Vinci Code. So, this next clip I'm going to show you kind of talks about um, what the Catholic Church is going to do if they find the Illuminati. And it goes into a little bit of background in terms of their war, similar to an Islam Freemason War. If the Illuminati
1: have returned and are in Rome, we will hunt them down and kill them. The Illuminati did not become violent until the
4: 17th century. Their name means the enlightened ones. They were physicists, mathematicians, astronomers. (coughs) They were concerned... With the church's inaccurate teaching, then they were dedicated to scientific truth. But the Vatican didn't like that. So the church began to, how did you say it? Well, hunt them down and kill them. Drove them underground
3: into a secret society.
4: All right, so like we saw there, they their scientific, the pop culture images, their scientific society... They're an age-old war with the Catholic Church, basically over the Catholic Church's teachings and rejection of what we all now know to be basic scientific truths, such as heliocentricity and other things like that. The rumor in pop culture is that Galileo was even part of the original Illuminati group, although the historical basis is that they were founded much later than Galileo. They have a lot of symbolism that has been involved in pop culture. They have heavy pagan influence based on the four <coughs> elements of earth, <coughs> air, water, and fire. These symbols uh, were used to broadcast messages subliminally, and even today they're rumored to have evolved into subliminal messaging that they broadcast through various media means. They used when they had the early symbols. They used ambigrams, which are are uh, diagrams. Designed so that you can see something one way. If you rotate a full 180 degrees, you can read it the same way. So how does this lend into the modern Illuminati? Well, modern Illuminati are rumored to be linked to the Bavarian Illuminati. There's no evidence that the current conspiracy theory does, although there are the random pockets who do believe the Bavarian society influenced the modern society. So what do they do? They, report, they purportedly infiltrate. They get powerful people across major levels of society, basically trying to control every aspect of society. So this is a conspiracy theory that actually is much more grounded on their attempt to control, rather than the Freemasons who just try to do some good. These people are actually trying to control things. What are they trying to control? They're trying to control every aspect of life, how, what you do, where you go, what you buy at the supermarket, and how do they control you? They use politicians, they use celebrities, they use investors, just to name a few things to control things that they, how, to work how they want to orchestrate them and then to send you the subliminal messages that they want you to learn so that you'll be okay with their plan once it comes to fruition. Basically, you name any celebrity and somebody probably thinks they're an Illuminati, except for Tom Cruise. We all know the Scientologists got to him first. <laughs> So what's their end goal? Their end goal is the New World Order. Like Aaron said, the Freemasons kind of aren't really... They don't really have a goal. They're Old World Order, New World Order. The modern Illuminati are purportedly trying to push this New World Order. What is this New World Order, though? They're not going to tell you. Even if you're a part of it, you probably don't even know the entire plan. You don't know the secrecy of the plan. You don't know what they're going to do. You're not even sure what it's going to look like when they're done. So... My guess is that probably most of the conspiracy theorists say New World Order and they have no idea what it means beyond that. So where can we actually see some of these purported signs and subliminal messages that they're sending us? We can see them in the dollar bill, as Joe talked about and he'll talk about in a little bit Uh more in depth later. You can see them in the layouts of national monuments in Washington, D.C. They've infiltrated the highest level of political offices. Every form of entertainment from concerts to TV And this is the most important one. The location of five Outback Steakhouses in Phoenix, Arizona. (laughs) All right, so this just goes to show how easy it is to find what you want to see in what already exists. I'm sure Outback had nothing to do with planning the location of those steakhouses to make a pentagram. Somebody managed to draw that in because they wanted to see it. If anything is true about the Illuminati, which may, or may, which may or may not be true, it's that they're shrouded in secrecy. You don't know exactly who you're talking to. You don't exactly even know what you're talking about most <coughs> of the time. So while it's possible conspiracies could exist that you know, are attempting to control aspects of our lives, we know that their ways aren't the ways of the kingdom of God, and that's where we can take our rest. The way they operate is in stark contrast to what we know about Christ and what he teaches us in Scripture. Everything we need to know about who he is, what has happened, and what will happen, has been revealed to us in Scripture. There's not a bunch of secrecy that you have to go digging in extra books of the Bible and these random texts to find. Every truth that you do need to know is in the Scriptures. We can rest in the fact that we know the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that he loves us and wants what is truly best for us. And over and through it all, conspiracy theory or not, our God does reign.
0: It's good. Thanks, Jacob. <clears throat> so I want um, <clears throat> to talk a little bit about this, cult versus occult, very quickly, um, and, and then try to tie all this. It, If it seems like we're talking about a couple different things, that they, w- they will all be tied back together, hopefully in a nice package here. But I wanted to just talk about the difference between these two words very quickly, because sometimes uh, people think they're one and the same, that occult is occult. Um, a cult, by definition, um, is just a small group of people that uh, believe in something that, that the rest of us think is weird, um, and, and, and also potentially the, the worst of cults um, are a danger to themselves. Very rarely, but very horrifically, sometimes uh, there'll be like a mass killing or a mass suicide uh, involved in a cult. Um, but a cult could potentially have nothing to do with the occult. So we could accuse Freemasons of being a cult. We could accuse Mormons of being a cult. Uh, we could accuse um, another church in town of being a, a cult. Um, but that potentially is very different than the occult. And the occult has to do with magic and spiritual divination, Satanism, witchcraft, witches, um, demon worship, demon stuff. And so potentially, um, since they're two very different words, um, there's, there's confusion because they sound alike. And one of my pet peeves in all of this is, is when people demonize a group. People say that a, a, a group is doing occultish things when they're claiming not to do occultish things. For example, um, I used to live in Utah and have uh, Mormon friends and have gone, uh, just just Mormon friends, Mormon, um, I, I have led some Mormons to the Lord and they've become evangelical Christians. Um, but it always annoyed me when people would demonize and occultize the Mormons and say, you know, like, oh, so Mormons. What do you believe? And the Mormons say, "Well, we, we believe in, um, you know, good strong family values. We believe in tithing to the church. We believe in being a good neighbor. We believe in uh, uh, giving and sharing and righteousness." And you're like, "Okay, I hear you saying that, but what I really hear is you worship Satan, and you, and in your temples you bite the heads off bats and drink the blood, and 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 cats are disappearing because you're taking cats and and skinning them and eating them or something." And it's like, what? Like, like we, we over-demonize groups that are secretive. It's like, oh, you're talking to a Freemason. Oh, you, you're a Freemason, and you, you give a lot of money to charity, and you have, um, you have these groups where you know, there's conferences, and you, you make good men better. I hear you saying that, but what I really hear is, you're biting the heads off bats and eating their blood, and you're worshiping Satan and drawing pentagrams with your naked bodies. and um, It's like, what in the world— it would be like if someone came to New Life and we told them what we believed and we, we told them, uh, we gave them a tour of our campus and they said, I, I hear you talking about Jesus and the Bible, but what I really hear you saying is... You're demon worshiping, and in the basement of this building is this this whole like cave, and like Brady Boyd and the elders go down there and they worship Satan. Um, what? Like, are you insane? Are you not listening to what we say? It's like, well, you don't even know what goes on. You don't even the higher ups know what what's going on here, really. It's like, no, let's listen to groups. Let's listen to people as they communicate. Let's actually go after the facts instead of putting on them a theory of conspiracy, occult, evil, demonization, and then trying to find evidence for that. Because, um... There is something like juicy and and good and just like ooh, it tickles the ear when we hear about like oh, the secret societies and secret stuff they're doing um, and it it's it's just there's the difference between a small group doing good secretively and the occult um, and i 'm not here to minimize the occult and and Satan worship if you want to know more about this, I asked Laszlo for. Per- permission to share. Laszlo, raise your hand. He's in the front row here. Laszlo, part of his story and testimony is that he was a Satan worshiper. Saying that right? And he was in, he was a high priest or something similar to those words. Um, Became a Christian, gave up all that, renounced that, and is now here. and, And so thank you for... And so there's something very different about his background and where he comes from than, say, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's, there's like, listen to a Jehovah's Witness talk about what they believe, and they'll tell you. Listen to a Satanist tell you what they believe, and they'll, they'll tell you. And so to take people at their words of what they say and what they believe, and actually looking at facts rather than theories and trying to find observations that match those theories is a good way to go. Furthermore, I think there's this idea of how conspiracy theorists pose questions, that they don't question the question. For instance, um, there's, there's like this popular YouTube video. I think like five million people have seen it, maybe some of you. It was pretty popular on Facebook and going around the interwebs um, about Beyonce and the Illuminati. Anybody seen this? Um, and so it's, it asks the question, and no one seems to question the question, but it asks the question, why was Beyonce at the Super Bowl last year flashing the Devil's Triangle? Why is, she, why was she doing this? And no one stopped, at least in the video, no one stopped to question the question and say, is Beyonce flashing a devil's triangle? I mean, triangles represent a lot of things, like Alcoholics Anonymous, the Trinity. Uh, Like femininity. By the way, the the Super Bowl theme was uh, women slash female empowerment. So maybe that's what she was doing. No one stopped to question the question. It's just like, oh, the question. Yeah, she's flashing the devil's triangle. Of course she's Illuminati. And it has to be real because she flat, of course. But no one stops to question the question. It's part of the conspiracy theorists' idea. Like, why do the Outback Steakhouses in Tucson? What did you say? In Phoenix. Sorry. Um, why do they represent a pentagram? No one stops to question the questions. Like, well, didn't you just kind of draw that in there? Um, <clears throat> you know, no one stops to question the question of like the triangle. That so, at the top of this painting is uh, a triangle with an eye in it. It's the same eye uh, potentially that's on the dollar bill. And this predates uh, Freemasonry. Uh, at least the first lodge. This predates the Illuminati. Um, this painting comes from the 1500s, 15, uh, let's see, 1525 by Jacob Pontemaro, Uh probably pronouncing that wrong, painted this as a Christian symbol. There's Jesus, of course, the, the, the triangle, the Trinity, the all-seeing eye, the idea that God is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. And so it predates the Illuminati and the Freemasons as a Christian symbol. And then here, we ask the question, why is, why is Beyonce flashing the devil's triangle? Well, who, who says that it's the devil's triangle? Who says that um, on the back of the dollar bill isn't a symbol that maybe has some Christian background? Of the, but, but people just ask the question, like, why is Lucifer's eye on the back of the dollar bill? Well, who says it's Lucifer's eye on the back of the dollar bill? Um, you ask questions like, why, if you trace the word Mason, so M A S O-N, on the back of a dollar bill, do you get a pentagram? No one stops to question the question and say, wait, pentagrams have how many points? Five. Five. This is just a poorly drawn, elongated, like, uh, I guess it's like the, the, the Davidic... Star of David, which by the way, it's like right there. I just see that the, the Israel flag has it on it. It's like, why does New Life have a pentagram in the World Prayer Center? It's like, you dummy. First of all, pentagrams have five points. <laughs> Second of all, anyways, um, and you could draw the word Mason quite a few different ways. There's different, there's other O's, there's other N's, there's other S's. Um, one more example before we close. The, has, have you heard this one? Um, I heard some people at Desperation talking about this um, that the monster energy sodas have the, the scratches on them. Um, but those are the, the scratches are similar to the Vav and the Hebrew Vav. Uh, if, you, if you equate the, the letters to numbers, the Vav is the sixth letter. So guess what? 666, six, six, there it is. You're drinking Satan's blood when you drink a monster soda. And it's part of this conspiracy, like, oh, someone in charge put this on there to, to demonize you and, and the, the United States with, with a demon drink. Um, and so, in conclusion, to wrap this up, if you leave here thinking, oh, Joe doesn't think the demonic realm is real, or if you leave here thinking, oh, Joe just thinks the whole demonic realm is a joke, that is very far from the truth. What I want to say and what I want to give you is, like, freedom from some of these things. I think my thesis that I'm going to quickly wrap up with is that real demonic activity has a lot more to do with sin and unrighteousness and uh, turning your back on God. And it has more to do with um, addictions. It has more to do with greed and theft and pornography, lust, um, than drinking an energy drink. It has more like, the demonic activity does have more to do with the heart, like we first opened up talking about. And I want to free you from, like, this fear of, like, oh, I went into the library, and the library has a Mason symbol, and the Masons are satanic, and so therefore I've just entered into the pit of Satan by going to the library. I want to free you from some of that, and there's, there is this tendency that—some um, of you laughed, but there is this tendency that that some of you will have, some of you do have— That that you're just like overly spiritual about symbols and things like, oh, I I dare not carry a dollar bill because the dollar bill has the triangle and the triangle represents Illuminati, Illuminati represents Satan. And it's like, that's not how... I think that the devil does work in this world. I believe that. And I believe that it has, has much more to do with sin and unrighteousness and unrepentance than it does with these random little symbols and being scared of them and going around thinking everything is a conspiracy. I took this class at, at seminary that was called Power Encounters. And it was this class about spiritual warfare uh, and the, and the the teacher, Dr. Charles Craft, he's written lots of books on spiritual warfare and spiritual awareness, had this analogy that I just loved um, for, the, for, the, for its simplicity's sake and for its, like, its power's sake. And, and it, he said this, that demons are like rats. Rats, if you're trying to get rid of a rat or a mouse problem in your house, and you just like set a bunch of traps and you kill some rats— that's going to solve the problem for a little while. But if you don't clean up your house, if there's food all over the floor—oh, here's a gross picture. Hopefully he's done eating. Um, but if, if you have gross stuff sitting out, and gross stuff and sin—here's where the analogy gets real. If you have sin in your life, and you have unrepentance, and you have uh, lust and addictions— and, and you get rid of demonic activity in your life, but you don't get rid of the sin. You don't repent of sin. You don't get rid of unrighteousness in your life. Well, then the demonic activity, the d- demonic oppression is going to come right back. It's going to have something to eat. So get rid of that. Get rid of the sin in your life. I think that is much more important to do than to be worried about symbols and dollar bills and conspiracy theories and monster energy drinks and Smurfs or whatever. Like the, there's this real demonic activity that comes with unrighteousness and sin. And I think I'm going to close with this, um, that, that we can clean the outside of the dish. And if the inside isn't clean, well, then the dish isn't clean, is it? You'd rather have a clean dish on the inside than a, a clean dish on the outside. Um, and Jesus gives this parable, uh, and I'll read it and then pray to close, this idea that, you know, we could run around trying to clean the outside of the dish. Like, oh, make sure there's no symbols of anything around. Make sure, like, oh, you're not wearing a shirt that has a symbol on it that represents a a, a, a musician that's satanic or something like that. Like, we could run around trying to clean up symbols and and. and And just little things like that. But if the inside isn't clean, well, that's all the difference. And so Jesus says it like this, and then we'll pray. Matthew 23, uh, verse 25, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. So let's pray. Jesus, like we opened in, in prayer in this, this morning, that declaring that you are sovereign, you are good, you are powerful. You are sovereign over all this. We do not believe that you and the devil are, are equal and opposite. We totally believe in you as an all-powerful, all-good God. And the devil, the demonic realm, is nothing compared to you. You are all-powerful. We declare that in here. And God, would you take away fear from us? Would you take away thoughts that are not of you? Would you take away thoughts that are not um, centered on who you are and what you did on the cross? God, we protect ourselves. God, we pray against any supernatural evil thing that, that could come and, and cause danger or unrepentance or sin in our lives. We pray against that in the name of Jesus. And we welcome you in here, God, to be, to be Lord of our lives, to be Savior of our lives. God, we praise you. We worship you. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at
2: www.themillonline.org.